Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Heyo, this is Dr. Santos, your pediatric infectious disease doc and a researcher. And if I timed this right, it is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, all. Um, I figured we would do one of our infamous themed episodes and okay. went searching around to find Valentine adjacent stories but as okay. we've had a musical season thus far and i did not have time to come up with one myself i figured i would play a classic one that you should be aware of in in your field santosh it is called okay. the medical love song by monty python from their contractual obligation album <laughs> i wish i knew my monty python much better than i do Oh, they've done um, so much more than Holy Grail, which is course, wonderful. I, which is wonderful. And Flying Circus. I, I know quite a bit of the music from Flying Circus. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, The Meaning of Life and Life of Brian. Um, so I know the songs from there, like Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. But for In terms of Valentine's Day, uh, I know the short piece, uh, it, Isn't It Awfully Nice to Have a Penis? That's a fun one. <laughs> Please enjoy the song, or at least as much of it as we choose to play. Yeah, yeah. Inflammation of the foreskin <laughs> reminds me of your smile. I've had balanitol chancroids for quite a little while. <laughs> I gave my heart to MSU that lovely night in June. I ache for you, my darling, 
and I hope you'll get well soon. My penile warts, your herpes, my syphilitic sore, your manilial infection, how I miss you more and more. Your dobies itch my scrapbooks, a lovely gonorrhea. At least we both were lying when we said that we were clear. My clapped out genitalia is not so bad for me as a complete and utter failure every time I try to pee. I'm dying from your love, my love, I'm your spirochetal clown. I've left my body to science, but I'm afraid they've turned it down. And, uh, yeah, it does, in fact, go on beyond that point. Yeah. For those of you who are interested, <laughs> please do go and listen to the full track. It is fully available on free platforms like YouTube. Uh, it's delightful. I, I marvel at their ability to weave those medical lyrics in and out of that, um, just Absolutely delightful tune. And thinking back to all the Valentine episodes we've done over the years, I don't believe we've ever covered Balanitis. Balanitis? Yeah, that's the one. Balanitis. Are, are you familiar with this non-infectious disease? And more importantly, are you familiar with its full name? Uh I'm not. So, well, first of all, balanitis is, you know, anytime you have an itis in there, right, Josh? So I-T-I-S, all that indicates is the symptom. So balanitis is inflammation of, and in this case, it's inflammation of the head of the penis. So you can have balanitis from several different causes, um, the most common, you're right, is irritation and kind of, you know, uh, it springs from a, a lack of hygiene more often than not. Um, it, by far and away, it's a non-infectious disease. But yeah, yeah. So it's it's just telling you that the, the head of the penis is inflamed. I, I mean, it, it should just be balanitis, right? Like that's the that's the name of it. Zoon balanitis. <laughs> What, what does Microsoft have a patent? What's going on? <laughs> what is happening? What I've never heard of this. Where where is this come from? Professor Johannes Jacobus yeah. Jingleheimer Schmidt Zoom. <laughs> okay, I'm assuming that's a real guy, except for the Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yeah, Johannes Jacobus Zoon. That's my name yeah. too. Sure, was sure. born. On 28 April 1902, in the Dutch village of Wokenalberg, Wijk in Aalberg. So, are, are you like W I J K? I yes. think that's Vik or Vik, Vik, something like that. Vik in Aalberg. Anyway, he's Dutch. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. So, the Netherlands. All right, gotcha. And in the early 1950s, yeah. He was the very first one to recognize this condition in eight male patients who had it chronically 
Mm -hmm. And under a microscope, when he had taken biopsies, they all appeared similar. And he actually named it, uh, in true scientific fashion, as balanopostic chronic circumscript benign plasmocytes, or circumscript plasmocellularis, and considered (laughs) it its own distinct entity. But having been the one to discover eight separate cases, scientists are prone to talk. And it quickly became known as Zoon Balanitis in <laughs> probably the greatest eponym ever. <laughs> so instead of turning it into like Zoon disease or Zoon's disease, they still kept the Balanitis on there. And he actually added uh, an extra uh, piece of, of uh, you know, what is inflamed. So the, uh, the prepuce, okay, which is the, the clinical term or the medical term for the foreskin. If, if you have a person where the head of the penis, the glands of the penis is inflamed and the prepuce is the foreskin is also inflamed and you have an uncircumcised male. So now you've got balanopostitis so you know the you got the the itis of the 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 balan the <laughs> the the head of the penis i believe what the, you're looking for santosh derives from yeah. the greek word balanos which oh, means acorn no the <laughs> that's perfect your that's acorn perfect. <laughs> your acorn pardon yes. my french yes. sits above your nuts yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, but I, I do understand why he had, you know, the itis of the balanos, which is the, the acorn, and of the, the post, the postitis. So, balanopostitis, inflammation of the, the, the acorn, the, the head of the penis, <laughs> and the foreskin, the prepuce. So poetic. So, yeah. And, and then he just, I guess, stuck his name onto it. As, no, no. In yeah. fact, very much did not. Others oh. did that for him. Oh, um, they named it in honor. <laughs> yes, honor. Okay. This is, of course, for people who have a penis. Okay. So balanitis, if the head of the penis, penis is inflamed, balano, uh, balanopostitis, if you've got the, pe- the head of the penis and the foreskin. Uh, so can a female genitalia... This would be the like the vulva, right? So vulvitis. I mean, he didn't like they they didn't you know go ahead and put the name on both of those, did they? Well, in fact, they did. Yeah. And there <laughs> is a female equivalent. <laughs> There's a female equivalent known as Zoon vulvitis. <laughs> so he got he got a, a little bit of both, a little bit of color, which is yeah. one of the more uh, disturbing Harry Potter spells, non <laughs> How has this not carried over through the uh, the decades? How did we drop the, the urologists have been keeping this all to themselves, and I, for one, am furious. Yeah, I'm I'm angry. Well, I I know there have been in recent times where we've erased physicians names from some of these because the physicians are you know they were nazis or something horrible i don't think that was the case here right this is no, just like no he's we've just forgotten, dutch we've it's... forgotten the amazing dr zoon in in all of this like he should be honored like we should you know <laughs> i mean it's a very dubious honor but <laughs> let's let's describe again 
It is yeah. not caused by an infection and cannot yes. be passed on to a sexual partner. Um, yes, there that's is true. there is a female gender equivalent. In both cases, you have a glistening bright red or autumn brown patch that is very defined from the surrounding normal looking skin. There may be numerous small dots or specks, right. uh, which are described as adorably kissing lesions. <laughs> I think because it's sort of kind of rep- uh, like looks like, uh, you know, like lipstick stains and that kind of a thing. I- I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want a gendered one, they are also called cayenne pepper spots. Well, that's okay. That makes Due a little bit more sense. micro hemorrhage. Yeah, because, you know, let's go back to food analogy. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Due to micro hemorrhages and deposition of hemosiderin, it is non-fatal. And in many cases, the main treatment for it is uh, circumcision, as it mm-hmm. is seen much more rarely in the uncircumcised. And it also is a condition more often of middle-aged to old-aged men. Uh, Yes. So uh, especially in those gentlemen who cannot, you know, they're disabled or they may have something like dementia, depression, like they don't or they can't wash themselves properly. Um, It's not hard to avoid this, actually. You should be taught you roll the foreskin back, you clean underneath it every time you bathe. And this is actually this type of hygiene, frequent washing and then drying off the area completely. Uh, you know, this is largely what helps prevent, you know, this kind of inflammation before you have to jump to circumcision. And then treatments otherwise, because you can still suffer from this after circumcision, it's just much more rare, tends yeah. to be steroid creams or ointments. Um, mm-hmm. See your urologist or dermatologist, depending who you can get an appointment with first, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, because this is a symptom, right? Balanitis is, is actually describing the symptom. It's not what the actual underlying disease is. There could be multiple reasons for why it's going on. So, you know, steroids will help with rubbing, chafing, inflammation. If the prepuce or the foreskin is too tight, and in that case, you know, circumcision can also help. But Josh, likewise, you can have, uh, you know, bacterial etiologies in some cases, like overgrowth of the local bacteria. Um, you can have yeast, so it can be a, a form of thrush. And so you can use antifungals as well. And then on occasion, though, the the inflammation can come due to, you know, an STI like gonorrhea. So again, you don't pass on the inflammation itself. All right. Everybody uh, go, go see your urologist. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> Zoon, zoon, zoon out there. <laughs> oh, my God. You said it like that. I was thinking of the old Toyota commercial. Do you remember those, Josh? Like the zoom, zoom, zoom. <laughs> like if I ever see like a throwback commercial, I'm never going to be able to look at it without giggling like an idiot. Moving on to the next story, uh, I believe... Pretty much everyone is familiar with Viagra. 
yeah. or sildenafil citrate, the little blue pill that could. Um, mm-hmm. Before we just <laughs> briefly talk about its its history, did you know that it can do for your flowers what it can do for your genitals? <laughs> Wait, so, okay, okay. Just going back a little ways. Nope. So, nope. We're, nope. We're taking off from here. No, oh, we're taking <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm trying to... No, go ahead. Give context. You're saying it can keep your flowers erect, is what you're saying. I'm saying researchers actually studied this. (laughs) Well, so there would have to be a basis beyond this, right? So, uh, you know, we we have um, enzymatic pathways in our blood vessels that help tell blood vessels when to uh, expand to let blood flow in or contract, right? And so the whole point beyond, you know, behind Viagra, behind sildenafil, originally was to help the pulmonary vasculature, the, the, the vessels in your lungs kind of relax and dilate to stop a really scary condition called pulmonary hypertension. That's, that's what it was originally studied for. And in fact, Josh, in our little premature babies, we still well, use it just for that. That was its first human research one, but it was originally developed in 1989 by uh-huh. Pfizer scientist Peter Dunn and Albert Wood to treat <laughs> right is, uh, peter, peter <laughs> and wood yeah it's, it's not fair because you know there are so many euphemisms for penis but yeah okay sure <laughs> got it okay they actually so, created it to treat angina and high right. blood pressure Oh, so, so uh, like heart heart attack. So actually increase blood flow to the heart because they thought they could, um, you know, relax and dilate the coronary blood vessels to relieve angina. And in the early 1990s, okay. while they were doing early trials, uh, they showed that it really wasn't doing much for high blood pressure, but it was helping in the lungs. However, volunteers in the clinical trials were reporting yes. increased erections several days after taking a dose of the drug. There you go. So yeah, so the the enzyme, right? The enzyme is phosphodiesterase 5. This drug, all of these ones with the fill at the end, right? So sildenafil, uh, tadalafil, which is Cialis, etc. All of these inhibit this phosphodiesterase type five and subsequently you know downstream downstream what happens is you have certain dilation of of blood vessels um that's you know in smooth muscle right okay and so one of the places where you have these types of blood vessels which specifically you know dilate in order to create an erection is in your penis so (laughs) It makes a ton of sense why that happened. So wait, did it? Did people maybe find out that that same enzyme is present in like the stems of plants? That March okay. nineteen ninety eight. Okay. Which to me was you know a couple of years ago, but apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was much much further back than you think. Yeah. <laughs> um, was the drug was approved by the FDA. With over okay. forty thousand prescriptions written in the following three weeks. 
Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It kind of, it exploded out of control. I think at first off-label, and then it was, you know, the FDA indication came out. Um, you do have to check with your doctor, Josh, to make sure you don't have any heart or lung conditions where, you know, the, the Viagra could kill you. So <laughs> you don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, if you, if you don't have any of those scary conditions, then, you know, it can help with your, uh, keeping your winky whacked. Separate from all of these yes. researchers in the British medical journal released in 1999. So this is not a new old, fact. Yeah. But, uh, the, the good old BMJ in an article titled, Viagra makes flowers stand up straight. <laughs> the researchers discovered only a single milligram of the drug compared with the 50 uh, dose, 50 milligram dose used by men with erectile dysfunction. Sure. Only a single milligram of the drug dissolved in water can double the life of cut flowers, making them stand up straight for up to one week longer than they usually would. The same okay. held true when they scientifically tested Viagra on strawberries, broccoli, asparagus, and other presumably phallic-shaped fruit. <laughs> but they have to be phallic-shaped. I mean, I can only imagine that was per scientist request. <laughs> Just to keep everything consistent. Now, one of the major side effects to note that was big back in the day when it was first released, I do not think it is as much of an issue now, is your vision becoming blue. Yes, because this has to do with, you know, that same enzyme, phosphodiesterase 5, and the role that it plays in activating the cone cells in your eyes. So if you take it and you know lightheadedness or anything seems blue... Uh, uh -huh. contact your physician immediately and or <laughs> emergency services. Yes. And I guess if your plants stand up longer than four hours. Contact your gardener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is so cool. So, Josh, I mean, they tried other stuff, right? They tried nitric oxide, which, you know, you give to your patients, right, when they're having a heart. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Heart attack um, to help, you know, dilate the the blood vessels, the, the coronary arteries uh, to stop you know, stop the heart from, from losing blood flow. Um, so yeah, it looks like, you know, it, it kind of acts on the same pathway through cyclic GMP and everything. 
So we can, uh, you know, use the same things. The The stem of the, the flower does have vessels, so to speak, to move their fluids around. And so you just dilate those and um, the nutrients get drawn up through the roots and circulated around and the stems stay nice and uh, firm and your flowers stick straight up. Um, so uh, after, after these yeah. messages... We'll be right back after these messages. Doodle doodle doodle. We'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> so, so before we move on to the next story, I I just wanted to know Santosh. I know it was behind a paywall or an academic wall, but were you able to read this Viagra flower story because it's got some just <laughs> beautiful quotes in there? Uh, so uh, this one, the the one that we have uh, today in our show notes, I'm trying to find the original uh, right here because this was the the commentary um, from uh, Judy Siegel Itzkovich in Jerusalem, and you know they've already tested Viagra on strawberries, legumes, roses, carnations, broccoli, and other perishables. They found that one milligram of the drug um, in a solution was enough to prevent two vases or vases of cut flowers from wilting. (laughs) And she quotes uh, Professor Yaakov Leshem, a plant researcher at Bar Ilan University at Ramat, uh, Ramat Gan in Israel and Ron Willis of the food technology department of Newcastle in Australia. Um, yeah. And they put it in and then my new quantity glossed over yeah. that Lesham's group says Viagra has a similar effect on plant ripening as it does yes. on men's sexual organs. <laughs> Just journalism yeah. at its <laughs> finest. I did. I did mess that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it's, it's really beautiful. So plant physiology and biochemistry, um, presented the discovery at the international conference on fresh cut produce in England. (laughs) I love that there is an international conference on fresh cut produce, Josh. Um, you and I are going to that. I don't know it when. It implies that there's one on poorly cut produce <laughs> or late cut produce. Who knows? But now that yeah. we've now that we've all had our fun with Viagra, sure, sure, we'll move briefly back into uh, well, older times and an older disease, the great mimic syphilis, which oh, yes. we're not going to go into a ton of detail about its pathology. Because it deserves its own 80 plagues. Absolutely. Except to say that uh, it's back, you know, in in the age of, uh, you know, here in the United States and in parts of Western Europe, there's been a sharp rise in sexually transmitted infections. So, Josh, we in infectious diseases and epidemiology are now trying very hard to again reduce the rates and incidence of syphilis in the main population because it's back constantly (laughs) reinventing itself um in fact it was an epidemic in the 1490s highly contagious in spain italy and france by the 1530s it was recognized throughout all of europe but do you know why it's called syphilis where where it got its name uh i i think maybe is there like a greek hero or god that it's named after 
Here, <laughs> is this really what you want your name associated with forever? <laughs> no, that's but true. But in fact, while the subject matter deals with ancient Greece, it is a poem by Italian physician named Girolamo Fracastoro. Ooh, nice. Okay. Syphilis sive morbis gallicus. Now, I would read it for you dramatically. Sure. But it's uh, in Italian. So, oh. oh, we don't have a, a, a decent translation. But okay. So well, it's in... also a very long poem. Like, it's, it's oh, a truly oh. epic poem. Like, this is an epic poem. Got it, got like it, got Like a Gilgamesh it. level. Um, <laughs> but written written in 1546... The okay. poem covers the causes of disease, the origin and treatment of syphilis, but it gets into the legend originally where he describes a handsome young shepherd named Syphilis. Oh, okay, okay. Who, because of an insult to the god of the sun and healing, Apollo, was punished with a terrible disease. Oh. A disease which then took on his name, Syphilis. God, oh, I see, I see. So um, this Italian poet, um, either he derived this myth from somewhere or he was, you know, telling this myth, but he kind of created an origin story for this disease. I mean, this could have been urban legend that was going around at the time. Uh, one theory also proposes it began as a tropical disease transmitted by non-sexual contact um, okay we know what it does we know how it works we don't know where it first came from how it worked its way into humans but right. fracastoro was not just a poet no he was a okay. true renaissance man okay an astronomer a doctor he could have been his own ninja turtle like we we just <laughs> were one season away <laughs> Leonardo from... leads Fracastoro diagnosis syphilis. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah, and this is this is in an era where intellectual people would take on a lot of different disciplines like this, right? They wouldn't be, you know, if they were scientists, they were what's called natural scientists. So they would study all different parts of nature. Um the, that age of hyper-specialization that we're in right now is very, very recent. So if we talk a little bit more about Fracastoro, uh, okay. although neither a ninja nor a turtle, he okay. did publish a book, De Contagione Ontagiosis Morbis, Morbius, et Curatine, yes. <laughs> on Contagion, Contagious Diseases, and yes. in it, he proposed the idea in 1546 that infectious diseases were transmitted from person to person by minute invisible particles. Oh. Uh, he called them seeds or seminaria. Okay. Okay. That were specific for individual diseases, mm -hmm. were self-replicating, okay. and acted on the humors of the body to create disease. Oh, two for three. So close. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he he was in an age where the humors were the – that was the explanation, the working model for how the human body worked, the human machine worked, and how disease happened. So can't fault him for still using that very broad worldview. But that idea of, you know, 
pre-germ theory, talking about microscopic particles uh, or unseen particles, that's very, very forward thinking. I mean, this guy swung so wildly from, you know, impressive scientists by standards of our day to crystal healer. Sure. Uh, sometimes <laughs> yeah. quite literally. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. he postulated that, you know, again, these seminaria, Mm-hmm. were specific to each disease floating around in the air. The environment could become polluted with them and that epidemics occurred with surges in seminaria that were provoked by atmospheric and okay. astrologic conditions. Oh, so, again, so close. <laughs> right? He okay. said the three modes of transmission of contagious disease are direct contact from one person to another. Sure, sure. Uh, through the air and through contact with fomites, a term that we still use today mm-hmm. yes, uh, for contaminated articles. And he was, yeah. so, he was so respected that he was able to persuade Pope Paul III to transfer the Council of Trent to uh, Bologna. Uh, is... Bologna, Bologna. <laughs> yeah, my, my Bologna has a first name. <laughs> Yeah, the the we we often wonder like where these things, Bologna or Bologna came from a region called Bologna. Yeah, otherwise it's just <laughs> sparkling ham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. You you worked in Champagne with Bologna. <laughs> Very nice. It's not from Bologna. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So he was able to convince the Pope to move an important council because of the prevalence of contagious disease in Trent and the risk of contact with contaminated fomites. All this from the same guy who wrote a poem about a shepherd who had his genitals punished because he offended a Greek god. (laughs) What a roller coaster we have been on. (laughs) And to be very fair, this was, you know... Uh, it was it was popular Western thinking for a really long time. You know, a plague, an affliction, a disease has come down. This is a curse from the gods, right? And it made a ton of sense because you could not only explain the why of, oh, why did this horrible thing happen, whether it's famine or plague or whatever it is. Um, but sadly, very sadly, Josh, it could also be used as a lever to, um, you know, ostracize these people. You know, if you were afflicted with this disease to say, you know, nope, you've been cursed by the gods. We don't want to be cursed by the gods. So you get out. And scarily enough, right, Josh, if you take the contagious person out of the population, the disease goes down and goes away. So, you know, people would be justified in doing this. So very, very scary but at the same time, you know, pre-scientific thought, it made a lot of sense, unfortunately. Well, the good news is this syphilitic shepherd may end yeah. up having the last laugh because <laughs> okay. in our next story, it turns out that the most hygienic, protective, sexiest substance you can imagine, <laughs> cow mucus. Okay. <laughs> why are you doing this <laughs> okay okay may may protect in lubricant form against sure. hiv 
Oh, that's right. Well, uh... That's right. <laughs> Cow spit. Okay. So a lubricant derived from the mucus of cow salivary glands okay. has shown some early promise at preventing HIV and a herpes virus from the family from infecting healthy human cells. Oh, all right. Okay. okay. Now, this is very early, and it should be said that this has happened with a lot of substances over the course of history that we found, you know, like barriers that stop transmission or replication of, of HIV. Is this just because it's so like thick and mucusy that well, if you it, have it's like the protein mucin, which may oh, have okay. antiviral properties, but yeah, beef mucin is just bigger and thicker. So oh, got, okay, got it, got it, got it. This this particular breed of protein. So human <laughs> epithelial cells were treated with a gel derived from cow mucus. Another okay. set of these cells were not treated, acting as the controls. The uh -huh. two groups were then exposed to either HIV, herpes simplex two, uh, known for resulting in genital herpes, or right, right. no virus. Okay. One hour later. The gel was taken off the cells in the first group, and then all the cells were cooked for two right. days, or they were allowed to culture. <laughs> so basically left at an appropriate temperature and you know gas concentration to allow the cells to live and the virus to proliferate. So among the cells that were exposed to either herpes virus or HIV, only okay. 20 and 30% became infected compared in the control where 100% of the cells became infected. Oh, significant drop. Massive, massive drop. Okay, okay. All right. Now, um, the yeah, next step is to try this with the salivary mucus of pigs. Because really what they're looking for is to be able to make this lubricant as a byproduct of the meat industry. One of the more sexy sentences this episode contains. <laughs> so this would be a, <laughs> not a, not a renewable resource, but it would be like upcycling of part of the cow that would be thrown away. Like it would be, it would go into food waste or, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, again, right. you're looking for a lubricant that could be added onto personal protective gear um, okay, sure. So, but it, it's not even up to living animal trials. So we still have at least five to eight years before <laughs> I think we're likely to see it. I just, yeah. I, I like thinking that this shepherd, poor kid, you know, years and years <laughs> ago, and now he's like, oh, if only I had had my cow or my pig or my sheep just spit on what? my genitals. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, Who absolutely. Who knows what would have happened next? A whole different poem. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, uh, got to give a shout out to uh, the uh, you know the the principal investigator here. So Hongji Yan, uh, who is one of the scientists behind this at the KTH Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, in Sweden, and he was quoted to say, Josh that the uh, the next step is to try the same with uh, pig mucus. Because just like with the cow mucus, it, you know, 
you you have a lot of animals that would be taken to the butcher and everything and you know you can harvest cow mucus you could harvest pig mucus and maybe it's all the same and you'd have even more of this gel to go around that could block uh active uptake of these viruses onto cells which is that's that's what you're trying to block you're trying to stop it from even getting to your cells <laughs> yeah we might just be like you know, mucus might be just the next frontier preventing viral infections. Or maybe it's not. Ah! <laughs> We're going to have to put in captions in the yes, transcript. This, this is where we include the warning, not yeah. with all the other things. Yeah. <laughs> mentioned this episode <laughs> well unless you exaggerate the pun in this particular case you know people won't be able to see where you put the break in the word but yeah <laughs> yeah and that brings us to our final story for the valentine's episode now to be fair i couldn't find a alternative source on this one so at best, okay. it is just a fun story. Take it with a grain of salt. It is unconfirmed. Sure. But science, maybe, might have discovered why we have dessert stomachs, why you always have room for dessert. Oh, oh, this is this is important. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So according to senior researcher Arnold Burstad and assistant okay. doctor Jorgen Valour, from Lovisberg <laughs> Diaconal Hospital. Okay. I don't know whether or not that's a real place because I could not find any other publications that talked about this study, but okay. it is supposedly in the latest issue of the Journal of the Norwegian Medical Association. Sure. The sugar in sweet foods stimulates a reflex that expands your stomach. So you have two competing theories, one of taste satiety, where if you're eating one kind of food over and over and over, you get signals sent to your brain by hormones that tell you you're full, like you've had enough salty food, or you've had enough umami and meatiness. Um, okay. We no longer are interested in doing that. And it sends up signals to do your stomach, as you know, can expand, uh, I want to say up to four liters total. I feel like we've covered this in the GI episode. Okay, okay. Um, but your stomach can expand when you are getting you know, up to a point. However, the sugar in sweet foods traditionally eaten at the end of a meal is now a novel taste, which overrides that sensation of feeling full. Okay. And because you have overridden the sensation of feeling full, you physiologically were already able to accommodate unless you really had gone to town. At the oh sure at the buffet line, <laughs> right, right. But in a lot of cases, I know that it, it'll drive hunger enough where the person will still eat, and if it becomes too much, genuinely, then the 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 person will vomit, like they'll throw up. Which is basically just your stomach contracting to send things back the way they came. Instead yes. of into the intestine to be digested. Correct. So, again, by having a small confection or something sugary, <laughs> it sure. overrides your satiety and helps to trigger the dessert expansion, which they were not able to explain 
in terms of mechanics to my satisfaction, or at least not in the translation I was able to find. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this is, uh, I, I really like this, at least physiologically, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's, there's still a lot of studies and, and data that needs to be gathered in order to, uh, you know, really cement this type of, uh, hypothesis, I think, um, or this theory, but well, I like it. So that's it for this week. What a journey we have been on Santos. <laughs> it was, Yeah. Yeah, it has been a hell of a journey. Journey, I love it. You know, I think we have a new favorite uh, disease condition name and yes. scientific reasons to have dessert, or at least justifications as to why we have room for it. So <laughs> that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading, including the delightful YouTube song by Monty Python we opened with. Uh, thanks to everyone who subscribes to us on ACAST+. Plus. We really appreciate it. We'll try and keep putting bonus stuff out for you there. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. And until next time, keep song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm. Go find someone special to spend just any weekend with, really, now <laughs> that we've destroyed this holiday for you. Sure. And once you've done all of that, pick a country, a state, or just the next town over. And uh, happy travels. Bye, everybody. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 